Welcome to Clued Up with Maria B., the behind-the-scenes photography podcast. Clued Up is your insider's view to building successful magazine-style photo shoots. We talk design and concept, fashion and style, tech, social media, and of course, business, plus so much more, including how to avoid common photography pitfalls. You'll also meet some special guests who work behind the camera and in front of the lens. Whether you're an aspiring photographer, a portrait photographer thinking about starting your own business, or you just have an interest in what it takes to plan and execute professional shoots, you've come to the right place. I'm your host, Maria B. Now let's get you clued up. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Clued Up, the behind the scenes photography podcast. I'm your host, Maria B. And welcome to this week's episode. As always, thank you for listening. On this week's episode, I want to talk about a topic that almost every photographer is faced with, particularly when they are new to photography. And that is where to do your photo shoots. For most photographers, this becomes a problem if you do not have a studio. But in order to have a studio, you have to pretty much guarantee that you can have a certain level of income based on your business every single month. And if you're just starting out, that's just not possible. So on today's episode, our topic is how to have successful photo shoots without your own studio. When I decided to get serious about photography and move beyond being a hobbyist, getting a studio was the furthest thing from my mind. First and foremost, financially, it made absolutely no sense. I wasn't making enough money with photography to support a lease or monthly rent on a property. But that left me in a curious position, and it's the position many photographers are faced with. Was I capable of having successful photo shoots without the benefits of having my own studio? I felt a little bit off-centered about this because whenever I watched videos of photographers, it seemed that they all worked primarily in a studio. Plus, like so many others, I projected my own beliefs onto this situation. I think some part of me reasoned that you're not really a pro or that you won't be taken seriously as a photographer if you don't have a studio. But in truth, that's a misconception and it's a major misconception. There are many successful photographers who work only on location or find some other way to produce fantastic shoots without having the overhead of a monthly rent or a lease. About a year ago at the Evolution Workshop in Italy, I had the pleasure of meeting Steve Saperito. I think of Steve as the guru of photography business. In his discussion, Steve talked about how to set up your studio to maximize your revenue. But even with that, he was perfectly clear that most of the issues that come from not having the success we say we really want to have stems from our own internal roadblocks, a sentiment that's been discussed by so many others. Steve gave the example of a woman who is tremendously successful and who pretty much runs her photography business out of her car. Similarly, through Sue Bryce education, I came to learn about true, and I'm going to butcher her name and I apologize, Moa, it's M-O-U-A. 
And that's um, on Instagram at True Moa Photography. She specializes in high school senior photography and she does not own a studio. I soon began to switch my thinking and could see so many photographers who worked without having a studio. Once I made the mental shift, I began to see the possibilities. I hope that by listening to this week's episode, you too can see that successful photo shoots have more to do with the environment you create for your clients and not the physical location of your photo shoot. There are several alternatives to not having your own studio. Here are a few to consider. First, your home. You've heard it time and time again. You really only need a small space in order to take powerful photos. When I started taking portraits, my home became my studio. I cleared away a section of my barely used dining room in favor of a light stand, a soft box, a painted seven foot poly board at that time, and some speed lights. With this, I did headshots and portraits. When I decided to purchase a strobe, obviously the equipment got bigger. I then moved to the other side of the room, essentially my living room. So for shoots, I would move my big coffee table into the entry of my home and I'd create a much wider space. That also meant I could then use larger backdrops and I, when I felt really ambitious, I could even do a two light setup. My bedroom became the changing area for a client and my dining room credenza became the layout for the makeup artist. Of course, there were some challenges. Well, this meant I had to disassemble my home for the client and for the makeup artist. I had to make it ideal for guests and I had to make sure, or at least I felt as though I had to make sure that I had food and snacks available during the course of the photo shoot. It also meant that at the end of the shoot, I had to reassemble my home. To be honest, the whole process was a little bit on the exhausting side, and it meant it was nearly impossible to do shoots two days in a row. But that didn't affect the quality of the work. In fact, I would argue that it's quite indistinguishable whether I took photos in my home or in the studio. The home studio works. It works best, however, if you have a dedicated area of your home for photography. But if you're just starting out, the corner of a room, preferably with a white ceiling, and a place for your client to change and have their makeup done is all you really need. Another alternative, the great outdoors. It's not that far-fetched of an idea. As I mentioned above, there are photographers who only work outdoors. Every photo in True Moa's Instagram account was taken outdoors. To be successful as an outdoor portrait photographer requires understanding how to work with natural light over which you have no control and work with natural and artificial light so you can overpower the sun when you need to. But but as you can see, learning to do this pays off with beautiful sun-kissed portraits. The negative or the challenge is bad weather. But I truly believe that with enough practice as an outdoor photographer, you can use bad weather to your advantage and produce some amazing dramatic work. Another alternative, 
rent a space for the shoot. This presents you with some really cool options, including renting an Airbnb, local rentals, hotel lobbies or hotel rooms, entertainment venues, etc. If you're really savvy, and if you have a good social media following, you may be able to barter the cost of using these types of spaces for the exposure that property will receive to cover the cost or part of the cost of the rental. If you're going this route, be cautious about from whom you rent. There's an argument for renting through an agency such as Peerspace because renters are vetted and they have to be approved. Same with a property rental such as Airbnb. If you're renting independently, exercise every caution that the space is clean, safe for both you and your client. Another alternative, rent someone else's studio. Many photographers are not shooting eight hours a day, seven days a week and some are more than happy to pick up some extra cash by renting out their space. Some will rent with the use of their equipment for a higher rental fee. Another alternative, rent a space that functions as a studio, meaning a location that functions for things such as rehearsals or performances, etc. Um, an example of this would be for a few years, I used a studio in New York called Alchemical Studios. Another was Baza Studio, also in New York. These are buildings that accommodate photography, performances, rehearsals, etc. The negative, however, is that you usually have to bring all of the gear you'll need and all of the equipment for a photo shoot. If you have bad knees or health problems, please be cautious with renting these types of spaces as many of these studios are in older buildings without elevators. Often there's a two, three or more floor flight walk up with studio equipment. So that's no joke. And it can be pretty stressful if you have bad knees or health issues. Another alternative, shoot in the client's home. The advantage here is that your client is already in a very comfortable space. Of course, the challenge may be that you're not exactly sure of how to manipulate a room to get the best lighting. And while it may be comfortable for the client, it's easy to feel inhibited in someone else's home and someone else's space. Another alternative, shoot in an architecturally interesting place or a local historical site. It's an extra bonus if the location has a lot of leading lines or um, intricate architectural structure. It makes for a very graphic detail in your photos. Remember that sometimes you have to pay a small fee to photograph in these areas, but it's definitely worth inquiring about. Depending on where you are in your business, you can opt to have your client pay any fees that you may incur for renting this type of space or any other space that you may need to rent for a photo shoot. Here are a few other things to keep in mind. If you're doing an outdoor shoot or shoot in a rented location or a historical site, you have to work out things like when and where your makeup artist can prep your client and where your client can change. 
So you may want to look into purchasing a changing room tent to provide your client with privacy when shooting outdoors or shooting in some architectural uh, structure. If you haven't listened to my previous episode on being organized, you may want to listen and get some ideas on how to stay organized, especially if you'll be working outdoors or working remotely. One thing to consider is to make your automobile as photography user-friendly as possible and reduce the stress involved in carrying equipment. You can do this by sectioning off uh, part of your trunk or SUV and installing some Velcro dividers. Once you've done this, try to keep the same equipment in the same space so you always know exactly where it is and you don't have to search the trunk of your car to find what you need. Speaking of carrying equipment, when working remotely, minimize the amount of gear you carry or that you think you'll need. Minimize the weight you carry for your own health by using support straps to take the weight of your camera off of your neck and off of your back. So all you really need are a few good outdoor shoots to show clients that they need not spend additional costs for studio rental in order to have a great photo shoot. Opting to photograph your client in an environment that has character and texture adds to the the distinctive quality of the photo shoot and adds quality attributes to the background versus your standard in-studio backdrop. Plus, this can help set you apart from studio-based photographers. Again, take a look at True Moa's photography and Anthony Johnson at Narratography for examples of great outdoor on-location photography. If you're going to rent a studio, a space set up especially for photography, keep in mind that these places are very strict about the time you're, you're allotted. If, for example, you rent a space from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., that means you won't be able to set up in that designated space until 10 a.m. and that you must be completely out of there by 2 p.m. to avoid incurring additional fees and to not keep the next renter waiting. You have to account for your setup time and your disassembling time when you rent. So when is it a good idea to start renting your own studio space? Like so many other things, it all depends. You should never start leasing or renting studio space until you can afford to comfortably pay the rent. Ideally, you should be ahead by a few months. You should also not find yourself in a position where you feel the urgency to sell your work in order to make your rent payment. Desperation shows and your clients will sense it. Most importantly, when you're desperate, Your work will not come from a place of service for your clients. You want to avoid renting in a high rent district. Not only does this increase your financial obligation and the emotional strain with regard to monthly payment, but by doing so, you may be restricting yourself to people of a certain socioeconomic class. Yeah, there are positives to that, but you also have to consider Is it better to have a few wealthy clients who make big purchases or uh, or to have a clientele where 
a person may spend somewhat less, but you have more people spending. I opt for the larger group with a moderate income because it gives me the ability to serve more people. Plus, while this may be my own personal bias, I sometimes think that when people are not in a higher socioeconomic class, the fact that they have to strive to get something like, um, I don't know, a 40 by 30 a photo piece of wall art of their family tells me that they see the value in photography and displaying their family's legacy in their home and among other family members as opposed to someone who can easily buy the biggest because they have the financial means. If you decide to rent your own space, here are some pointers. Rent where you're comfortable in terms of the location. Some photographers prefer to have their own studio in a place that has a lot of foot traffic, like a strip mall or a business district. Others prefer to have their studio in a more artsy location or in a quiet neighborhood. Go with what suits you and what makes you comfortable. Know what you need and rent a place that accommodates that or can accommodate that in the future. Your studio should grow with you so that you don't have to rent another place in a few months or in a year and suffer the stress of a new location and moving. Design in your mind, then on paper. When you decide to rent, have an idea of the basic setup that you that would accommodate your needs. This way, as you're looking, you will know what to easily dismiss to avoid wasting your time. For example, when I started looking, I knew I, I wanted three distinct areas in my studio, a shooting area, a sectioned off area for dressing and makeup, and a sitting area where we can conduct business. When I found my space, which upon opening the door, I saw one very large room, I knew it could accommodate what I wanted with a little bit of design savvy. Rent what you can afford. I've already touched on that, but I can't emphasize it enough. If there's any way possible, choose to rent at a level that ensures you do not have to make sales to make the rent. Alternatively, if you're already doing smashingly well and and you have the financial means plus some months worth of rent in reserve, then go for what works for you financially. Remember that besides the actual rent, you may have to pay utilities. So budget this into your plan. And if you can, look for a place that includes utilities in the monthly rent. This is the case with my studio. The only additional cost is Wi-Fi and that's a nominal fee per month. And just as a reminder, although this may go without saying, make sure that wherever you rent has heat and air conditioning in the studio for your comfort as well as your clients. Remember to budget your studio needs into your initial cost. For example, furniture, desk, computer, printer, etc. If you've been working from home or working remotely, you may not need much. I had all of my studio equipment from my home studio and mainly just needed a couple of pieces of furnishings. I purchased a long table for the makeup area from a vintage furniture store, along with a restored decorative table and a stand for my monitor. 
My seti, coffee table, desk, ottoman were purchased from Wayfair. And by the way, you may be able to get additional discounts from Wayfair or other businesses if, you, if you've registered your business. Online stores like Wayfair and Overstock offer great prices for the same products compared to your traditional furniture store or furniture department in a store. The rug in my seating area came from Amazon, but could have easily come from Wayfair or, or, or Overstock as well. If you have a collection of dresses or clothing accessories, you can get sturdy clothing racks from Ikea for about for probably less than $15 each versus racks from a place like the container store. The thing is to shop around for the items you want in your studio. You want items that won't break the bank, but you also don't want your place to look cheap. So put your shopping skills to work in order to get the best for what you can afford. When I got my place, there were pieces that the previous owner left behind that I kept and did a little work on to make them functional in my studio. There was an old bookcase that I painted white that I now use to display smaller samples of wall art. There was an old stool that I spray painted white that I use for seated poses. There was this old painter's cart that I spray painted gray and converted to my print stand by turning it on its side. And there was a huge easel in the hallway that was due to be thrown out that I took, restained and polished that I now use as a prop. So it's possible to decorate your studio with things you already own or that just require some creativity and a little elbow grease. And you can avoid spending more money than is really necessary. Also, please don't get caught up in comparing your space to other spaces you may see online, particularly in photography groups. You never know other people's circumstances. Someone may have a gorgeous boutique-like studio, but they have, may have maxed out on their credit card by doing this. Someone who uses their kitchen table for makeup and shoots in the corner of their bedroom could be making killer sales. You have to find your unique way to build your photography studio, whether it's in the neighborhood park, abandoned building, a hotel room, an Airbnb, or your 200 square foot space with your portable backdrops. The important thing is just to make it your studio. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Clued Up with me, your host, Maria B. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. I really appreciate your support. When you rate, subscribe, and review, you're also helping other listeners find and enjoy this podcast. Until next time.